Justice Gorsuch has the opinion of the Court this morning in Case 17-340, New Prime versus Oliveira. The Federal Arbitration Act requires courts to enforce private arbitration agreements. But like most laws, this one has its limits. We explore some of those limits today. The parties are New Prime, an interstate trucking company, and Dominic Oliveira, who works as one of the company's drivers. Eventually, litigation emerged between them, and a key question became whether the dispute should be resolved in a courtroom or before an arbitrator. Before us, New Prime argues that the case should be sent to arbitration because that's what the party's contract provides. Meanwhile, Mr. Oliveira contends that Section 1 of the Arbitration Act withholds from courts the power to order arbitration in disputes involving, quote, contracts of employment for interstate transportation workers like him. Whatever the party's agreement might say about arbitration, he contends, the Act just doesn't give a judge the power to throw his case out of court. So who is right? We start with a procedural question. To honor the terms of the party's agreement, New Prime says, we must allow an arbitrator to resolve even the preliminary question whether the case is itself subject to arbitration. But that seems to us to overlook a problem of power. While Sections 3 and 4 of the Arbitration Act authorize courts to compel arbitration consistent with the party's agreements in many cases, that power is not absolute. In Sections 1 and 2 of the Act, Congress expressly withheld from courts the power to order arbitration for certain classes of cases, no matter what the party's agreements might say. So it seems plain to us that before a court may use its powers under Section 3 and 4 to stop litigation and order arbitration, it must determine whether it has those powers in the first place under Sections 1 and 2. Resolving that procedural question, though, only invites the bigger substantive one. Does Mr. Oliveira's contract trigger Section 1's exemption for contracts of employment involving interstate transportation workers? No one doubts that as a nationwide truck driver, Mr. Oliveira is an interstate transportation worker. But New Prime argues that he isn't eligible for Section 1's exemption because he doesn't have a contract of employment with the company. True, he works under a written agreement with the company, but New Prime contends that agreement isn't a contract of employment because he isn't an employee, only an independent contractor. So it turns out the question before us boils down to this. Does an independent contractor's agreement to perform work qualify as a contract of employment? Now, to many modern lawyerly ears, the term contract of employment might seem to require a formal employee-employer relationship, just as New Prime suggests. In fact, if you look up the term contract of employment in some legal dictionaries today, that's pretty much what you'll find. But when interpreting a statute, a judge's job is usually to determine what its terms meant at the time Congress enacted them. After all, if judges could freely infuse old statutory terms with entirely new and different meanings, we would risk amending statutes outside the legislative process the Constitution commands. We would risk, too, upsetting reliance interests by subjecting people today to different rules than they enjoyed when the statute was passed. And that, we think, pretty much holds the key to the case. As it turns out, the evidence overwhelmingly demonstrates that back in 1925, when Congress passed the Arbitration Act, the term contract of employment meant nothing more than an agreement to perform work, without regard to the nature of the work or the nature of the worker. Contemporary dictionaries, loads of case law, 
and a great many statutes cited in our opinion today all prove the point. So does a neighboring statutory term. The Act excludes, quote, contracts of employment of any class of workers engaged in interstate commerce. If Congress really wanted to exclude only employees, why did it speak of workers instead? New Prime offers no persuasive answer to this evidence, but resorts instead to asking us to enforce the Act's general policy of encouraging arbitration. The problem here, though, is that no statute pursues a policy to every logical end. The whole point of the legislative process is to encourage social compromise on hard policy questions. These compromises may sometimes disappoint a coldly logical outside observer, but they're often essential to secure a statute's passage. And Section 1's exemption for interstate transportation workers may compromise the statute's general policy, but that makes it no less worthy of our respect. If courts felt free to pave over bumpy statutory texts in order to perfect their logic, we would risk dishonoring the legislative compromises that are at the heart of what makes democratic self-rule possible. In the end, we hold that when Congress adopted the Act in 1925, the term contracts of employment referred to any agreement to perform work. And no less than those who came before him, Mr. Oliveira is entitled to the benefit of that same rule today. Accordingly, his agreement with New Prime falls within Section 1's exemption. The Court of Appeals was correct that it lacked authority under the Act to order arbitration, and the judgment is affirmed. The opinion of the Court is unanimous. Justice Ginsburg has filed a concurring opinion. Justice Kavanaugh took no part in the consideration or decision of this case.